I suspect that many of us feel that we're living in very uncertain times. The global situation is uncertain, and you may feel that your personal situation is less secure than it was. Globally, the balance of power is shifting, and that is now more obvious and inevitable than at any other point, certainly in my lifetime. By 2050, the five most powerful countries in order will most likely be China, India, the US, Indonesia, and Brazil. That is very different from the way things are today, and that will bring about significant changes. Uh, what's more, we're still in the throes of COVID-19, and we still don't know how this thing is going to pan out. We don't fully understand the ramifications for the global economy. Uh, governments, uh, particularly Western democracies, now have an unprecedented level of control over the people they're elected to govern. Uh, will they eventually relinquish that power? Uh, in some cases, hopefully in most cases, yes. In, in others, maybe not. Will we ever return to a pre-COVID normal? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. And then there's climate change. Here in Australia, we've just had the hottest November on record. And we hear that kind of thing all the time now, don't we? The hottest on record, the driest on record, the wettest on record. Severe weather events are on the increase all over the world. So globally, there's a huge amount of uncertainty. But many people here in Australia, around the world, uh, and around the world are also facing a lot of personal uncertainty, particularly in the area of uh, employment and finances. Many people have lost their jobs. Uh, others find themselves working in industries that are now struggling. There's a lot of additional financial instability for individuals and families. And of course, there's a myriad of other factors that might make people feel uncertain about the future. And this can create a lot of worry and anxiety. Well, today's passage gives us an appropriate response to the uncertainty of our lives and a sense of stability in an uncertain world. Gives us an appropriate response to the uncertainty in our lives and a sense of stability in an uncertain world. Luke's Gospel begins with the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. That's when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple and told him that his wife Elizabeth would give birth birth to a son in her old age. And then Luke progresses to the story of the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. That's when uh, the angel appeared to Mary and told her that she would be the mother of Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Well, today these two elements are brought together because Mary goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And this meeting comes at a time of great uncertainty, globally, but also for Mary personally. Firstly, globally, in the first century, there were two global empires or superpowers. There was the Roman Empire in the West, uh, which occupied the area around the Mediterranean, uh, Europe, North Africa, the Levant, that's the eastern edge of the, uh, of the Mediterranean. And then you had the Han Dynasty in the East, and uh, this uh, occupied... Uh, a large part of what is now China and parts of Southeast Asia. 
Uh, these two empires were comparable in size, in terms of uh, their geographic size, and also in terms of the number of citizens or um, uh, subjects that they had. Uh, but these two empires, they barely knew of each other's existence. Mary would have known nothing of the Han Dynasty, but she certainly knew about the Roman Empire because she was living in the Roman province of Palestine. Israel was under Roman rule, which was, of course, a total affront to the Jews. The Jews hated the Romans. They hated their occupation of the Holy Land, and they were eagerly awaiting uh, their Messiah, who would, they believed, deliver them from this disgrace. But God had sent no prophets to Israel for more than 400 years. There's a 400-year gap between the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the events that we're reading about today. And this created a huge amount of uncertainty. Where is God? The people were asking. Why doesn't he save us? Why does he allow his people to suffer such disgrace? So there was uncertainty, but there was also impatience. A group called the Zealots were on the ascendancy, and they wanted to eject the Romans by force. Within a generation of the events that we're reading about today, there was a period of increased Jewish resistance against Roman occupation, uh, but, it, but it was sporadic, and there were uh, lots of small groups and factions involved, and they weren't particularly organized until AD 66, when all those groups came together and expelled the Romans from Jerusalem. Well, you can imagine the Roman Empire wasn't going to back down to this little rebellion in a far-flung province. So it came down with an iron fist. And in AD 70, uh, Jerusalem was completely destroyed in what has to be uh, one of the most violent, brutal, and inhumane events in all of human history. When Mary and Elizabeth uh, uh, met, all of this was not very far in the future. It was bubbling away under the surface. So from Mary's perspective, the global situation was extremely unstable and uncertain. But this was also a very uncertain period for Mary personally. As we saw last week, she was uh, pregnant out of wedlock. She was engaged to be Joseph, to, so she was engaged to be married to Joseph, but Joseph wasn't the father. In a culture where the penalty for adultery was death by stoning, this was an extremely dangerous situation for a young girl to be in. We know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph uh, had decided to divorce Mary quietly. Uh, Joseph was a good man, an honorable man, a godly man. He loved Mary. He didn't want to make a, a big scene and subject her to public disgrace. So he decided he was going to divorce her quietly, try and keep it under, uh, under the radar. Um, you remember that engagement was such a serious commitment that it took a divorce to annul it in that culture. And I think in our minds, we often think of these events, and we think that they happened in just a few days. Angel visits Mary. Mary falls pregnant. Joseph finds out and decides to divorce Mary. Then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him to marry Mary. And then they get married, and then they go to Bethlehem. Well, we're so used to seeing this condensed into a nativity play that we think it happened in just a few days when in reality it probably played out over a period of months mary stayed with elizabeth for three months did joseph already know about mary's pregnancy we don't know 
If he did, then Mary might have spent those three months thinking that Joseph was going to divorce her. If at that point Joseph didn't know about the pregnancy, then Mary still had the daunting task of telling him ahead of her. Either way, it was an extremely uncertain uh, situation. And as I also mentioned last week, within the community, Mary's reputation would have been ruined. And if Joseph had divorced her, she would have most likely faced poverty because an unmarried woman in that culture would have very few means of supporting herself and her child in this case. You think you live in an uncertain world. Mary lived in an uncertain world. You think you've got problems. Mary had problems. And there are two responses to the difficulties and uncertainties of life. There is worry and there is worship. Jesus told us not to worry, didn't he? But we do. And some of us are very good at it. Uh, in fact, we spend a lot of time worrying about things that will never happen, like vital statistics, if I can say this word, vital statistics. Did any of you read the Asterix books as a, as a child? Vital statistics was the tribal chieftain whose constant fear was that the sky would fall on his head tomorrow. We can be a lot like that, can't we? Worrying about things that never happen. But there's no sign of worry at this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth. There's joy, there's excitement, there's worship, but there's no sign of worry because everything points to the fact that God is doing something new. God is in control of the future. God has a plan and he's putting it into action. I mean, you've got an elderly lady and a virgin who are both pregnant. And in both cases, an angel has told them the reason for their pregnancy and the significance of their future son. One will be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one to herald his coming. And the other will be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You remember that God had sent no prophets to Israel for 400 years. Well, John's role as forerunner and witness to Christ begins while he's still in his mother's womb. Elizabeth is filled with joy and the baby in her in her uh, sorry Elizabeth is filled with the holy spirit and the baby in her womb leaps for joy. John is able to joyfully recognize the presence of Christ before he's even born. As an aside as an aside we note that this passage affirms the humanity and the personhood of the unborn. In her sixth month of pregnancy, Elizabeth's son is a distinct person who's able to feel joy. I'll just part that there. So Elizabeth proclaims a blessing on Mary, reading from verse 42. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The word for my Lord that Elizabeth uses would often be used in a, in a court setting, the royal court, because it literally means my king. Elizabeth is given a gift of knowledge. She recognizes that Mary is bearing the Messiah, the future king of Israel. And Mary responds with a song. It's often called the Magnificat because that's the first word in the Latin translation. Magnificat means magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord, or in our uh, translation, it says, my soul glorifies the Lord. What an amazing response. 
What an amazing response. We've already seen that Mary lives in an uncertain world. And from a purely human perspective, her future is precarious and uncertain. But instead of worry, she responds with heartfelt worship. As Christians, our whole life is an act of worship. But singing is an important form of worship because it connects us with God in a special way. It's often the time when we'll feel closest to God. Sung worship is a powerful form of prayer. I wonder, have we fully realized that? Do we consciously make that song our prayer? If up until now we've just been singing then this morning I encourage you, recognize that what you're singing is a prayer that you can make your own from your own heart, and it may well transform your worship life. If I'm honest, I think that men probably, in general, struggle more with this. Uh, When I first became a Christian, uh, I hated singing. I hated the sound of my own voice. Uh, Not that I love it now, but I can tolerate it. And uh, I I found it all really uncomfortable. And and, and again, the whole raising of hands thing, I found it uh, weird and awkward. But that's odd because it's not unusual to see men singing at a sporting event like a football match. And when your team scores, you jump out of your seat and you go, yes! So what are we saying? It's okay to get excited about football? but it's not okay to get excited about God? Well, that's inconsistent, isn't it? If you feel like you've only uh, ever just dipped your toe into worship, I would encourage you to keep wading deeper. Uh, It's an amazing way to encounter God. So we talked a lot about uh, uncertainty, worry, and anxiety this morning. I want to ask you a question. What are you worried about? What are you distressed about? What keeps you awake at night? And have you tried worship? I mean worship as a specific response to whatever it is that's troubling you. Worship as a specific response to whatever it is that's troubling you. You see, often our problems are right here in front of us. We can't see anything else. When we worship, we put God right here in front of us. Instead of filling our vision with life's problems, we fill our vision with Christ. And it completely changes our perspective. You see, what we tend to do is we look at our situation and our circumstances and we relate to God in light of them. So if things are going great, we think God is great. It's easy to say Jesus is Lord when everything is working in our favor. But if things are going badly, we start to have doubts. Is God able to help me? Why doesn't God help me? Is he powerless? Can't he do anything? Uh, Is God angry with me? Is God real? It's a kind of bottom-up approach. We let our circumstances dictate the way that we feel about God. But what we need is a top-down approach, where firstly we look at the character of God, and then we look at our circumstances in light of God's character. The other day I heard about someone who has this top-down approach. She focuses on God's character and not on her circumstances. It's a lady from the church that Tissa grew up in in Jamaica. Her name is Marie. Uh, As a young child, she got gangrene and um, her lower arms and legs had to be amputated. Uh, As a teenager, she became pregnant in very uh, 
difficult circumstances. And um, she gave birth to a son. She loved him. She raised him. But at the age of 18, he was shot by the police in a case of mistaken identity. And tragically, he died. As you can imagine, Marie was devastated by this. And recently, and when I say recently, I mean just a few days ago, we heard that Marie's house has burned down. She was poor, she was uninsured, and she's been left with nothing. Her personal circumstances are tragic, and yet she still remains in the church, and she worships God with all her heart. She worships God with all her heart, and we might ask, well, how can that be? And there's only one explanation. She focuses on God's character. And because she knows God's character, she knows that no matter how difficult and traumatic and uncertain life might be, ultimately, she will be vindicated. God will lift her up and reverse her fortunes because that is what God has promised to do. I'm not saying that Marie never worries. I'm not saying she doesn't feel distraught and heartbroken over some of the things that have happened. But if she can keep worshipping under those circumstances, surely we can exchange our worry for worship. And Mary had the same approach. She focused on God's character and not on the uncertainty of the situation. And that's why she was able to worship in spite of all the uncertainty. And, And her song has a very clear theme, the reversal of fortunes. And actually, that theme runs right the way through our passage today. The reversal of fortunes, personally and globally. Personally, Elizabeth had to live almost as a pariah because in that culture, being barren was considered a curse from God. So people would have assumed that Elizabeth was unable to have children uh, because of some secret sin in her heart. But Elizabeth became pregnant in her old age. God completely uh, uh, changed her circumstances. It was a, a reversal of fortunes and a total vindication of Elizabeth's character. And then Mary, almost certainly she was on the receiving end of malicious gossip. The stigma of being pregnant out of wedlock may, have, may well have followed her her whole life. Yeah, uh, I mentioned it last week in John 8. The Pharisees asked Jesus, where is your father? In other words, you don't know who your father is because your mother's immoral. But Mary is able to sing, From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary focuses on God's character, on his holiness, and she knows that she'll be vindicated. And she was right, wasn't she? Because 2,000 years later, we do consider Mary to be blessed. So Mary sings about a personal reversal of fortunes, but also a global reversal of fortunes, reading from verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. The rulers of this world are not in control. The unjust world order that I spoke about three weeks ago when we're in the dome will not be allowed to continue. The oppressors will be brought low and those who cry out to the Lord will be lifted up. God is just 
He doesn't allow people to steal. Ultimately, what they've stolen will be taken from them and redistributed. It might seem like we live in a, a messed up world full of uncertainty, but only if we focus on the problems instead of focusing on God. Mary focused on God's character. She sang, he does great things for me. We can all say that. God does great things for us. Uh, No matter what's going on in our life, we can always find ways that God has blessed us and count our blessings. She sang, he's mighty, he's holy, he's merciful, he's just. The God that Mary describes is a God who loves us and cares for us. A God who has a plan. A God who has a plan. Just look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. God has been working on this plan since the days of Abraham, thousands of years ago, actually since before the beginning of time. God's got this. His plan is on track. In Mary's day, the Jewish people were waiting for God to show up, and he did, just not in the way that anyone expected Today, we face all kinds of uncertainty. The world is in a mess. During this season of Advent, we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus, who will make all things new, who will turn the world upside down in the best possible way. Uh, That lady from Tissa's church in Jamaica, Marie, she will be with Jesus forever in paradise, along with everyone else who puts their trust and their hope in him. Mary's song speaks to us of the reversal of fortunes that will accompany God's salvation. Advent and Christmas remind us that God has shown up. God has a plan that is being enacted in our world. His plan is on track. So in in the midst of all the uncertainty, let us trade worry for worship. Let us trade worry for worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize the uncertainty of our world and in some cases the uncertainty of our personal circumstances. But we also recognize that Mary lived in an uncertain world and her personal circumstances from a purely human point of view were uncertain to say the least. And so we pray, Lord, that we can have the same response that Mary had to focus on your character to focus on your promises, to recognize through this story of, uh, of, of Christmas, to recognize that you are enacting an amazing plan in our world, a plan that will ultimately lead to a renewed and restored creation that is free of pain and, and suffering and trauma and death. We put our hope and our trust in you this Advent as we look for your coming again. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Amen.